It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Saturday, November 11th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Another Republican presidential debate is in the books. This one gave the candidates more time to explain themselves. But with more than six weeks since the prior debate, has anything changed? Even though they're competing for the second place spot, they're double digits behind Donald Trump. Donald Trump is just dominating this contest. I'm Jared Halpern. A new speaker has not changed the House Republicans' math problems when it comes to passing spending bills. If he makes the bill too conservative, the moderates bolt. If they make the bill too moderate, the conservatives bolt. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. If anything's changed from the second to the third debates, it may have been the animosity level, specifically between former South Carolina governor and U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, and tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. This was their exchange over a proposed TikTok ban at the NBC debate. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Ramaswamy also had this dig toward Haley over foreign policy. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first, or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which case, we've got two of them on stage tonight. Yes, I'd first like to say they're five-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. He contrasted himself on foreign policy with the others, not on Israel, but with an even harsher critique of Ukraine. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. That drew this rebuke from Haley. I am telling you, Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. DeSantis said of Ukraine, We need to bring this war to an end. We need the Europeans to step up and do their fair share. And we need to get serious about the top threat that this country faces, which is the Chinese Communist Party. But the debate happened one day after an election in which races impacted by proposed state rules on abortion got Democrats to the polls in Ohio and Virginia and Kentucky. And positions staked out by Haley and Scott highlighted the GOP's divide on abortion. No Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president can ban these state laws. I would challenge both Nikki and Ron to join me at a 15-week limit. While the candidates seem to agree something would likely need to be done about how Social Security is about to run out of money, they wouldn't commit to a specific age to which they'd raise the retirement age. Though DeSantis might not raise it at all. When, uh, when life expectancy is declining, I don't see how you could raise it the other direction. And the debate began with indirect acknowledgement that at least right now they're running for a shot at second place as DeSantis and Haley criticized former President Trump. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp and he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well we saw last night I'm sick of Republicans losing. I think that he put us eight trillion dollars in debt and our kids are never going to forgive us for that. So with just five candidates on the stage this time did anyone or any take stand out? I think Nikki Haley was definitely a clear winner. She has proven over the past three debates that the debate stage is her comfort zone and it's somewhere where she really shines. Julia Manchester is national politics reporter at The Hill. 
you know, whenever any candidate on stage comes for her, she seems to have a really good clap back ready, even when mm-hmm. it gets personal or if it's over policy. One of the biggest moments, I think, of the debate wasn't technically over policy. Um, you, well, I guess it was in a way you heard Vivek Ramaswamy talking about TikTok then invoked Nikki Haley's own daughter being on TikTok and she fired back saying, keep my daughter out of your voice. I think that's something that would resonate with a lot of parents watching. And I think just a lot of Americans watching in general. Um, You also heard Ramaswamy refer to her as uh, Dick Cheney in three inch heels. She had a very good uh, clap back for that as well. Um, But that was over the issue of foreign policy. And overall, I think we saw divide on foreign policy on that stage and really two different camps within the Republican Party on the issue of Ukraine, whether to aid Ukraine, to defend Ukraine, and, um, you know, how that conflict relates to the war between Israel and Hamas. So, uh, you know, definitely some divisions on stage, but Nikki Haley, a clear winner. I also think Ron DeSantis had a very good night. Um, He's someone who hasn't, has had a bit of a rocky road since launching his Mm -hmm. campaign May, but I think he stuck out on the debate stage. He was very clear, concise. He had more standout moments than he's had in the past. He had other candidates sort of uh, attacking him at times, which I think is always a good thing for a campaign if you want to keep the spotlight on you. So my top winners, I would say, are Haley and DeSantis. About that foreign policy uh, argument, you know, we we heard all the, the candidates sort of say, they're on the same page regarding Israel. We know Vivek would probably um, take away funding, but 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 there was broad like sort of support, right? But then, what, like you like you noted, when it came to Ukraine, there was this clear divide. And I mean, Vivek really went off, right? I mean, it, Ukraine's not a democracy; they're corrupt, essentially saying they don't deserve any more support. And Ron DeSantis said, you know, this war needs to end. That's very different from where Chris Christie and Nikki Haley are, and I think Tim Scott as well. Does that divide? How- that divide play out next year um, because it seems pretty stark. And, and when you go on social media, you do see a lot of, you know, red Twitter or red X, you know, saying like saying those things like that, that we, you know, we need to, you know, we need to protect our own border and not Ukraine. Like, how is that going to, how is that division in your mind going to play out if at all? You know, I think it plays out in a huge way and it could play out to the detriment of Republicans because we don't only see this division playing out on the campaign trail and on the debate stage, but you also see this division playing out in Congress. You have Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who is very pro-Ukraine funding, where you whereas you have Speaker Mike Johnson, who is not as pro-Ukraine funding. These are two, they're representing two very different parts of the Republican Party. And you had what I would call the old guard establishment Republicans and Haley, Scott and Christie wanting to pledge support Ukraine for Ukraine, noting the links between Russia, Iran and Hamas. Um, whereas you had Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy uh, maybe representing a more populist wing of the Republican Party, um, a Republican Party that might uh, champion the America First agenda, if you will, or America First slogan to fund, um, you know, be, be very selective about where we fund, uh, put, put our foreign aid, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Ramaswamy made a particularly very inflammatory statement referring to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky as a Nazi, worth noting that Zelensky is Jewish. Um, right. But 
Zelensky himself has become a major point of division within the Republican Party. He's been seen as a hero among the Mitch McConnells, the Nikki Haley's, the Tim Scott's. But earlier this year, when he came to the Capitol or a few months ago and wanted to give another joint address, then Speaker Kevin McCarthy essentially denied him that request. So it just really paints a picture of how deep these divisions run on this issue. There was a a lot of the same, though, on debate night, right? Um, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis went after each other again Mm -hmm. over who was too friendly to China. Um, She again accused him of banning fracking, and he said he didn't. There were even the same claims about former President Trump, who's the front runner, right? DeSantis said he never got the wall paid for. Nikki Haley said he added to the debt. We've heard these attacks a lot. So there was a lot of the same. And I just wonder, in a week where the former president actually testified in his own civil fraud trial, what do you make of where the candidates are on the clear front runner? So right now, it's just so incredibly ironic because you have Haley and DeSantis duking it out on the debate stage, off the debate stage. Their super PACs are lobbing, um, you know, attacks at each other. Their campaigns are lobbing attacks at each other online. And um, we knew that this was going to happen because they're duking it out for second place. But there's a real question that's growing among Republicans, particularly Republicans who don't want Trump to be the nominee, as to, okay, you get the second place spot. Where do you go from here? Because remember, even though they're competing for the second place spot, they're double digits behind Donald Trump. Donald Trump is just dominating this contest. So, you know, in the lead up to this debate, a lot of Republican operatives and strategists I talked to who are not pro-Trump said, well, I want to see them start to attack him even more than they already have because they need to start making that case to donors they need and voters and really starting to, you know, create that opening. Um, but there's a real question of whether that even works because we've seen all these candidates attack Trump in the past um, and it, you know, doesn't ha- appear to have moved the needle. Abortion was again brought up. Republicans have an issue here, right, that they have to deal with. And they noticed it on, on Tuesday night, on election night, when Ohio voters voted to protect abortion. Virginia voters went with Democrats instead of Republicans, as their Republican governor has talked about hopefully passing a 15-week ban on abortion. And then the, the next day, it was the debate. And so you, again, had this discussion about, like, where are Republicans on this? It didn't seem like a whole lot of, like, new conversation, but it seemed like to solidify what the Republican Party has to do, right? Nikki Haley again said a federal ban or a federal weak marker is is, is not going to happen here because of, you know, you can't get it passed through the Senate. And Tim Scott sounded like he was saying, well, we have to try. And I'm wondering if, if what happened at the debate, the discussion at the debate surrounding abortion just solidified where each person is on this. I think it did. And I think in many ways, what happened on Tuesday night with Republicans and anti-abortion advocates losing so badly, that in a way played into Nikki Haley's argument, because she's talked about how there's a divide in this country and that how there isn't consensus on there being a federal ban on abortion. And we saw that there isn't consensus on Tuesday night. In fact, we saw a majority of voters in the states that voted on issues directly on abortion or for candidates who addressed abortion in their campaigns, they very much went with the abortion rights side of things. So I think she's 
correct in her political assessment. I think President Trump is correct in his political assessment. He has been very much urging Republicans not to embrace this idea of a ban and to stay away from the issue of abortion, leave it up to the states. And, you know, the both of them have been proved correct in many ways. For someone like Ron DeSantis, um, he's in a more tight spot, I would say, because he did sign a very strict abortion ban into law in Florida. And he touts it quite a bit in Iowa, where there's a socially conservative base. But in New Hampshire, you have a different brand of Republicans, a brand of Republicans who, you know, are more socially liberal, more libertarian. So that's puts him in a tight spot. Tim Scott has been following a similar playbook. He's been running ads on this 15-week ban during the campaign or the possibility of a 15-week ban. And for a while, talking to Republicans, operatives, pollsters, what have you, they were all suggesting that a 15-week ban would be popular, a 15-week limit, I should say, with restriction, with exceptions, excuse me. So they're changing the language a little bit. Um, uh, yeah. And that's why we saw Glenn Youngkin campaign so much on that this cycle, and so many Republicans in Virginia embraced that. The problem was Democrats framed this as a ban, and their messaging was better, and voters bought uh, Democratic messaging over Republican messaging. So you're certainly seeing this debate on how to handle abortion play out in many ways, like you're seeing the debate on Ukraine and many different ecosystems, whether it's the campaign trail, the debate stage, Congress. Um, There's a real divide in the Republican Party on how to deal with that because you have the Donald Trump's and Nikki Haley's who realize that this isn't a good issue for Republicans electorally, but that's not necessarily what Republican primary voters want to hear. Real quickly on the border, do you, we see the polling is indicating that the border is sort of creeping up as a concern for voters. And you heard on, on debate night, I mean, these Republican candidates really sounded like they were going to be tough, right? Like Nikki Haley says, fentanyl is, is actually China's fault. So we have to stop normal trade relations with them. And DeSantis and Vivek were talking about, you know, send, send the military or the National Guard. And I think Haley also said, send in special ops against the cartels. And Tim Scott said he he actually thinks there are terrorist cells already here in the country because of the number of special interest aliens that have been caught at the border over the past couple of years. It's in the thousands. And we we do see voters starting to care about this issue more. Do you think Republicans had the right messaging on on that? Or was it unrealistic to say we're going to cut off normal trade relations with China or send in special operations teams and risk upsetting Mexico? I think you hear a lot of rhetoric oftentimes in presidential campaigns and primaries, whether it's Republicans or Democratic primaries that are meant to appease the base. I think that some of that rhetoric was certainly meant to appease the base because all of this, you know, might sound like it's a good idea in theory, but implementing it, like you said, you know, could upset relations with Mexico. We, they're our neighbor to the South. We want to have normal relations with them. So a lot of this is to appease the base. But that being said, I think Republicans have been correct to make this a major issue. Um, And I think we've obviously seen footage coming out of the southern border showing the flow of migrants and sort of, you know, how Border Patrol and officials down there feel overwhelmed and quite frankly, look look overwhelmed by uh, handling this over migrants. But also you're starting to see blue cities like New York City, Chicago, these cities that have been labeled as sanctuary cities have called themselves sanctuary cities in the past, 
Now, red state governors and officials are sending migrants up there. And now, in a way, you see these blue city, these Democrat city, Democratic cities, Democratic states understand how, what it feels like to be a border town or a border state. And they're starting to change their tune on this. We've seen the White House start to change their tune on this as they see this as more of a political liability. So hmm. Republicans were absolutely right to keep the pressure on this issue. You know, I would argue that if Roe versus Wade wasn't overturned in 2022 and Republicans ran strongly on the border, that could have been a successful issue for them. Okay, last one for you, I promise. No worries. We did also see before the debate, these poll numbers come out. The New York Times-Siena College poll made big news early in the week because it showed the president losing in five of six swing states to President mm-hmm. Trump. I think regardless of party, that came as a bit of a, I don't know, was it a surprise or what was that when, when you saw that? Yeah, and it wasn't only the New York Times Siena College poll, but a CNN poll came out on Tuesday, just hours before the debate, showing Donald Trump beating Joe Biden in a national hypothetical matchup. You know, I don't know if, if you look at the poll and talk to Democrats about the polls that came out this week, they'll say this is less about Donald Trump rising and more about Joe Biden falling among mm. voters. And what's so interesting is that when you look at a lot of these polls, you see Joe Biden not doing particularly well with groups that should be easy for Democrats, young voters, black voters. You know, Hispanic voters have been swingier in the past and they've, you know, uh, none of these voters are monoliths, but we've seen certain voters in certain uh, Hispanic communities lean towards the right in recent years. So I think that's a big troubling sign for Joe Biden and Democrats, they really should be concerned. If you're Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, there still is polling that shows those two also beating Joe Biden. But right now, I think it just paints a picture of how weak the Biden administration or the Biden campaign, I should say, is at this moment. It was interesting after the Tuesday special elections, how the Biden campaign was so quick to almost in a way take credit for those wins. But what's interesting is that you never saw Biden go to Kentucky and campaign with Andy Bashir. He endorsed candidates in Virginia, but never campaigned with those candidates, never uh, went to Ohio to campaign on those issues. I know that this is an off-year election, maybe not as flashy as a midterm or general election, but they're still very um, you know, important and indicative of what we can expect going into the next year. And I think for down-ballot Democrats, Tuesday was a really good sign, but for Joe Biden, ironically, it wasn't. Thank you so much. Uh, Julia Manchester, national politics reporter at The Hill. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. There's a new name above the speaker suite in the U.S. Capitol, but the math that troubled Kevin McCarthy 
is no easier for Mike Johnson. That was proven twice this week as House Republicans pulled two separate appropriation bills from the floor because they lacked the support to pass. So as a government shutdown deadline approaches at the end of next week, Johnson is left with no choice but another short-term spending bill, or CR, to avoid a shutdown just weeks into his speakership. Because he can't even move these individual spending bills. This was the criticism leveled at the former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. They can't do that, let alone a bill that would uh, keep the government open come next weekend. Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram has been following every step of the new speaker and, as usual, shares his in-depth reporting with us. I've been told in just the past bit here that we will have text sometime over the weekend as to what an interim spending plan would look like. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says, well, since the House has been dithering, he's going to forge ahead with one, uh, with some sort of plan here to keep the lights on, probably just a straight CR, as we call it, a, a bill that would uh, just uh, keep the, the government funded at current, le- current levels. And there is a nuance here, Jared. Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader, said that he would uh, support only a CR, an interim spending bill, that would fund the government at the uh, 2023 fiscal year levels. Now, why is that important? Go back to the spring and remember that there was a deal cut between then Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Biden to deal with the debt ceiling. And so they established new levels for 2024, which is what started ostensibly October 1st. We're technically into fiscal 2024 here. And you're going to have a lot of Republicans who are going to say, well, at least we want that because that will involve a little bit of a cut. But the Democrats have thrown down the gauntlet and say we want to go with the fiscal 2023 levels, even though there is an agreement between the president and the former speaker, Jared. Well, let's talk about what that CR looks like, because even the new speaker, Mike Johnson, has said there's going to be a short term spending bill, a CR. It may be laddered. However they do it, he has sort of suggested that they're going to do enough here to get through the holidays. He's talked about maybe January, maybe February. That is something that is going to need Democratic votes, right? Exactly. And that's so the toxicity he, for him. Yeah. So, so, so how does he McCarthy. do that um, without seeing the same fate as his predecessor, Kevin McCarthy? You know, uh, Thomas Massey, the Republican from Kentucky, said just a couple of minutes ago, he said, you know, we all knew that there would be a honeymoon period here for the new speaker. And he said maybe this honeymoon period is a little bit uh, shorter than even many of us anticipated. Uh, Mm. You got it. You nailed it. Who knows? And and, and this is the problem, you know, that he is facing the same mathematical problems passing bills in his chamber. He has the same problem with the same members. Uh, He has the you know, if if he makes the bill too conservative, the moderates bolt. If they make the bill too moderate, the conservatives bolt. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, this is about the math. And they're running right up against this deadline. And and there's really no good way to do this. And the thing that I was struck by this week, Jared, was the dearth of information from the leadership about what the plan was, number one. And then you had rank and file members talking about all sorts of things, a myriad of proposals, laddered CRs, step stool CRs. You know, I, I felt like I was in a hardware store. I mean, it went on and on. And, and a lot of the members didn't know what these things even were. And, and I'll tell you, this idea of a laddered well, you and I CR. I've covered the hill a long time. I've never heard of a laddered CR. Yeah, I, I mean, and that thing has the same stability as the ladder that Chevy Chase would stand on when he played <laughs> uh, Gerald Ford and fall over the Christmas tree. I'm telling you. I mean, no, no so, so a laddered CR is basically this it's another word for a minibus. 
which means yeah. you're putting several spending bills together and passing them on a temporary basis. Now, the latter part of this is that you start out with the ones that you can get done and pass, and then you go up the ladder progressively to other rungs and pass other bills down the road. Okay, that's fine. But as I pointed out to you at the beginning of the conversation, they can't even pass their own other individual spending bills. So guess what? You don't have anything to conference. You know, this is a back and forth with the Senate. In fact, Tim Burchett, who I mentioned a minute ago, he said, well, you know, he said, well, why doesn't the Senate have to have something? I said, well, this is in the Constitution. <laughs> the Senate has to have a role in this, you know, and this is where some House members. I mean, I know that there is age old tension between the House and the Senate, but. Guess what? The Senate has a play in this. And because the House can't get its act together, this is why Chuck Schumer says, I'm going to be the adult in the conversation and I'm going to put a bill forth here to move it here and then probably stick it to the House, make the make the House jam the House, as we say here on Capitol Hill. And I assume that that the reason Schumer is optimistic about that is because he believes that he can work with uh, Republicans, mostly, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell to to come Mm -hmm. up with some sort of short term CR. That's right. And and basically, and if they they blow it up in the House, guess who that is on? The new speaker, Mike Johnson. And he might get some applause from some quarters of his conference. But his first well-known act, besides passing the Israel only bill, is that there would be a government shutdown on his watch. And that Israel only bill, by the way, is not even going to get considered in the Senate um, as they continue to to press forward on trying to figure out the parameters of that larger sort of one hundred and five, one hundred and six billion dollar supplemental that's going to include a lot else. Let me uh, ask a little bit more just about these um, appropriations bills, because, uh, you know, these are partisan bills. And I don't think that's unusual. Right. But that is the, the challenge, because, I mean, some of these things have like proposals to like cut administration officials salaries to like one dollar mm-hmm. and things like i mean that that's why and, and they couldn't even they couldn't even pass that i mean i mean in the <laughs> treasury bill like that that's why yeah. they are in the math problem that they are in right because these are not like appropriations bills that have been negotiated out by the full committee with the consent of democrats and republicans kind of working together right right if you did a bipartisan bill to fund the treasury department and the white house you could pass that bill probably with 270, nay, 300 votes. Mm -hmm. Bipartisan bill, mind you. But if you try to do it just on your side with a four-seat majority, and it's going to get smaller here in a couple of days because there's a new Republican, uh, there's a new district from Rhode Island, Democrat, who was elected. This uh, succeeds David Cicilline, who stepped away in early June. You can't pass those bills. And and this is where, you know, basically they they wasted a week, uh, you know, dithering on amendments like uh, trying to defund uh, the salary of Corinne Jean-Pierre, knock it down to $1 was going to be the price. I mean, we kept hearing this around. They, d- they tried to do this with Pete Buttigieg, the transportation yes. secretary, Lloyd Austin. I mean, this is like the price is right, $1, you know. Uh, <laughs> and their bid didn't work, by the way. Bob Barker did not call you up to the stage. They never got to pass their bill, Jared. <laughs> That's, sorry, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm having uh, flashbacks to elementary school in those sick days when you'd watch The Price is Right and they'd have those $1 bids. What, um, what they make you do now, uh, Jared, is sit at home and watch the house floor that well listen i've been doing that for a long time as well um and no wonder we're all sick you can tell professionally (laughs) yeah let me uh uh, ask about that that other side of this which is the supplemental as it relates to ukraine israel Mm -hmm. the indo-pacific and the border 
as more time passes, and that creates more urgency. We heard, for instance, from the White House this week that about 96% of what has been authorized for Ukraine has already been spent, so they are really limiting now what they can send over. There is an urgency, certainly, uh, to the Israel component. Does that get worked out now, sort of attached to or or sort of in conjunction with a, a CR or some type of government funding bill? If the government shuts down, that's a possibility because we don't know how long that shutdown would be. Um, Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, he indicated earlier this week that he thought that border security should be part of that package. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made that clear. And uh, to be clear, the, when the, we're the talking argument, about border, well, to say, when, yeah. we're, when he talks about border security, because there's what, like 13 or 14 billion dollars for the border in this bill. But that's mm-hmm. not what Republicans are talking about. They want policy and legislative changes to things like the asylum program and and migration coming in. They they argue, I think, that the money that has been allocated here in this supplemental deals with migrants who are here. They want mm-hmm. to add what policy changes to to migrants coming in. Is that kind On of on the border? Yes, yeah. exactly. You know, he said no money. And so that's for ta- Chicago that, that's and hard. New York. I mean, it is. That's that's is. comprehensive immigration reform, Chad. And that's why, you know, a lot of people think that this is going to be the Christmas time project that is the sweetener for Republicans uh, to vote for the bill. Probably, uh, you know, Democrats, you know, Mitch McConnell says, I want Ukraine aid, has made that case ad nauseum for the past couple of weeks here. Uh, but he knows that that's how he can say, look, I gave you border security. We got something good in this. And Democrats would have to eat a little bit of that. But I tell you, if the government shuts down, then all bets are off on this supplemental spending bill, which we always thought what would happen is they would wrangle over the CR right now, get this done just before Thanksgiving, and then turn, and this is going to be the Christmas time project, dealing with trying to fund the government, or, I'm sorry, dealing with, uh, with, with trying to pass this supplemental spending mm-hmm. bill before Christmas time. And, you know, the whole idea that they were going to make the holidays, you know, cheery and nice around here, that has all gone south, starting with Thanksgiving. I mean, well, I mean, again, because that's when the government would shut down over Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, carve your turkey now. <laughs> they, I mean, and, and there's nothing that lawmakers hate more than having to be here during Christmas, Thanksgiving, all of those holidays. Um, and, and, and think about this, too. You know, and a lot of people will, will say this. If the government shuts down, that means they're here the week of Thanksgiving. And then that means they have to be here probably through Christmas because, you, you know, and that means they will have been in session since mid-September. I have been in this building for almost three decades and that would be unprecedented to have a session go on that long, mm-hmm. uh, simply because we were here all throughout the speakers uh, fight back in October. Uh, and some people back home listening said, well, they should be there working all the time. Yes. What people forget, though, is that this is a, a by city job. You know, a lot of the work that they do is back in their districts. Mm-hmm. meeting with constituents. You know, the, the criticism that members get is that, oh, you've gone to Washington. You guys are there all the time. You're not <laughs> right. back here. And, and, then, and, then, and then when they're here, they get criticized for being in sessions. You know, so it, again, they should be there working. You know, so they, they, you can't please anybody. This is the, the paradox of Congress. And the reality is they also need to, like, raise money for re- like they're all up for reelection um, mm-hmm. next year. And that's yes. like a, a political reality, too. Right. Um, and so, listen, we'll see how that plays out. I, I did want to ask about this other thing that, that happened this week in Washington, and that is the House uh, Oversight Committee sending these subpoenas to Hunter Biden, uh, the president's uh, son, and, and also um, to uh, the pres- James Biden, the president's brother. 
this has been something that a lot of Republicans have been asking for for a long time. I guess mm-hmm. my question is, does that, in your mind, signify any sort of major movement on this impeachment inquiry or put it into sort of a, a better picture of kind of what that timeline looks like? Yeah, it signifies that we'll probably have a big blockbuster hearing or deposition with Hunter Biden at some point in the future, maybe in December or early next year. Uh, It was interesting before the speaker's fight, you had Republicans saying, oh, we want this wrapped up quickly. Well, the speaker's fight knocked that back. And if you have a government shutdown and a fight over the supplemental, that's going to delay that even more. And what, you know, from a news perspective, gets the attention the government shutdown, not having Hunter Biden in and gets Republicans off their focus again to say nothing of the fact that, you know, from a policy perspective, that's the only thing they have going for them. You know, the Republicans were repudiated in the Commonwealth of Virginia, in the state of Ohio on the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, these were pretty, you know, handy losses here that, that, that came down the pike. Mm-hmm. Kentucky with Andy Bashir, mm-hmm. and Democrats are saying, you know, you guys can sit and talk about Hunter Biden all you want. That is not resonating with the public. And what hasn't been brought up here, and this is something the House will have to deal with next week, is that Marjorie Taylor Greene has now introduced a resolution to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. So that means and that, that will get voted on in some capacity next week. Like, yes, I mean, yes. Monday, Tuesday. Sort of exactly. Table, but they'll have to take some sort of action on yes. that resolution. And I asked Marjorie Taylor Greene, I said, what if a member of the Republican leadership moves to table? Uh, what would your reaction be? And she said, well, she said, she said, it's obvious they're not you know, hearing what the constituents are saying. They want that. But again, that that message is resonating in certain districts. Uh, I will say that the border issue is resonating in districts. Uh, you know, it's more of a concern to Democrats now than it was just a year ago. Mm-hmm. But impeaching Mayorkas, um, uh, that's not, not where they want their focus. And again, you know, Mike Johnson, one of the reasons they did not kick out George Santos a couple of weeks ago was because they said he had not had due process. They had not had a report from the Ethics Committee. Well, the Mayorkas resolution to impeach him from Green that has not gone through committee, that has not had a, a markup. And, and this is where Marjorie Taylor Greene said, you know, time is up. You know, having press conferences and having committee hearings and markups. She said, I'm done with all that. Never mind, Jared. That is the regular order. <laughs> that all, is the regular order. It all goes back to. Re- so, I mean, listen, new speaker, same same environment, same same challenges. And, and really not point. that different. The only the difference is uh, he, I mean, the math is the math. The math, math didn't change. You cannot change congressional physics. And that's We're what didn't change. That. I mean, you, cha- you, you, you changed the astronomer here. You, you, you changed Avogadro, but you did not change the number. Y- yeah, that's the problem Mike Johnson has. And uh, you'll keep- make, make some people wonder why, why he wanted the job. <laughs> well, I know you'll keep uh, navigating us through these uh, rough seas. So I appreciate the, uh, the time and have a great weekend, Chad. Thank you. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Israel vows to erase Hamas from Gaza as military operations enter a new phase. But what is the future of Gaza once Hamas is no longer in power? We discuss with the State Department's former top negotiator for Middle East peace. And we learned a lot about what's motivating voters on Tuesday as abortion restrictions were roundly defeated in several states. Kevin Cork looks at how the issue could shape next year's presidential race. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Jared Halpern. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. 
stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.